0: What a joy to be together this morning. We're pursuing a series of studies in the life of David. We're calling the overall series the total incline of the heart because David is described in scripture as the man after God's own heart who will do all of his will. And so we begin to see uh, how David uh, fills out that promise. He had many highs in his life, some lows, but uh, of course we can relate to him. Our particular text this morning is in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it's verses 17 through 30, if you want to turn in your Bibles to that text. The topic we're going to find there is this, David is told he can marry Michael, the king's daughter, if he goes out and kills a number of Philistines and brings back their foreskins as proof. The title of our message, Foreskins and 200 Philistines ago. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we come to it with a, uh, a great anticipation, a wonderful expectation of how you're going to speak directly to us through it. Lord, having your word and being filled with your Spirit, having Jesus here ministering to us, it's uh, it's a guarantee, Lord, that you're going to talk directly to us if we'll just have the ears to hear. If we'll just yield our heart to listen to what the Spirit has to say to us as a church and as individuals who uh, comprise that church. Of course, we need to be encouraged, Lord, because the world is discouraging enough. We're getting beat up out there, bombarded, Lord, during the week with immorality and language and uh, temptation. We come here, Lord, as a refuge to be built up in our most holy faith, to encourage one another and be encouraged by you. I pray that that would happen today and that we would in every way be strengthened, Lord, for the task at hand that is living out the Christian life before a watching world. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed, said, set. Amen. The 2010 Major League Baseball season is not yet half over and there have already been three no-hitters. The last one being Phillies pitcher Roy Halliday's perfect game against the Florida Marlins. It's a big deal statistically because there have only been 266 no hitters since 1875, an average of less than two per season. Most of you could probably, uh, most of you probably know rather who holds the record for throwing the most no-hit games. It's Nolan Ryan with seven. Only Ryan, Sandy Koufax, Cy Young, Bob Feller, and Larry Corcoran have pitched more than two. Larry Corcoran is not a household name, only because he pitched in the 1800s. Such feats of pitching prowess are a big deal, and these pitchers deserve the recognition they've received. Behind every pitcher who no-hits the opposition is a catcher. Generally speaking, the catcher receives little or no recognition. As a former Little League backstop myself, I say, just try to throw a no-hitter without a catcher. It's not going to work. You'll never get out of the first inning. Here's a quote. Most people remember who the pitcher was, not the catcher, said catcher Joe Girardi, who caught Dwight Doc Gooden's no-hitter on May 14, 1996, and David Cohn's perfect game on July 18, 1999, both with the Yankees. There's only been a handful of catchers, by the way, who have caught multiple no-hitters. Whether it's Major League Baseball or the ministry, you and, a, you and I may not always get recognition and reward. It can definitely affect you. It can mess with your mind if you let it. It can lead to discouragement, to grumbling and complaining, to bitterness, and can even uh, cause you to quit serving the Lord. The lesson I want to draw from the life of David in the end of chapter 18 is how to properly react to recognition and reward both when it's withheld and when it's granted. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, maintain your joy serving the Lord by having no expectation of temporal recognition or reward. And number two, maintain your joy in serving the Lord by having appreciation for temporal recognition and reward. First of all, in verses 17, 18 and 19 Let's look at David with no expectation of reward. Before Jesus was crucified, his closest disciples were prone to arguing about who among them would be the greatest in his kingdom. The mother of James and John even asked Jesus to grant that her two boys would be seated on either side of his throne in the kingdom. After the Lord was crucified, and after he rose from the dead, and after he ascended into heaven... The Holy Spirit came upon those guys. Not long into the ministry of the twelve apostles, persecution broke out against them. On one such occasion, after being arrested, then beaten, you read that quote, they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. The presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives dramatically changed their expectation of what it meant to serve the Lord. They were no longer looking for even interested in temporal recognition or reward. They were looking past those things to what awaited them in heaven. David had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He thus had the same no expectations attitude about serving the Lord. And so we pick up our story in verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now, we're obviously still in the aftermath of David's victory against the Philistine giant Goliath. King Saul had promised to give his daughter in marriage to whomever slew Goliath. David had fulfilled the condition. But now Saul upped the ante telling David that in addition to having killed Goliath, he needed to be valiant for Saul and fight the Lord's battles. Saul had reneged on the original deal. He did it because he wanted David dead and he saw an opportunity to get him killed fighting the Philistines. The question for us isn't whether or not recognition or reward has ever or will ever be withheld. The question is, how am I going to respond when it is withheld? It's a very important question because we tend to expect those things to be motivated by those things. In the secular spheres of our lives, recognition and reward have their place. But not so much in the spiritual sphere. They are on hold until we see Jesus face to face. Verse 18. So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? David had no expectation that Saul would follow through on his offer of recognition and reward. After he killed Goliath, he didn't march into Saul's tent uh, and begin to demand his daughter as his wife or his tax-free status or his other great reward that was promised for uh, slaying the giant. It wasn't so much he knew the wickedness of Saul as it was he understood the wonderfulness of God. You see, David didn't go out against Goliath to earn anything. As we said when we read the story, David was a little incensed that any reward had been offered. The minute Goliath came out and challenged the armies of God, David thought every Israelite should have volunteered for that. The problem that Saul should have had was trying to figure out who among his army he should send because they all should have wanted to go for no reward whatsoever. David thought the opportunity to serve the Lord, to do what was right, was its own reward. Serving the Lord is its own reward. When you serve the Lord, He recognizes you. He will reward you. That's all you need. David did not consider it a light thing that he, from a humble family, should become related to the king of Israel. Notwithstanding that the king was a bozo, that it was Saul, he looked at the office, not the person. How much more ought we to be humbled by the understanding that God has adopted us into his family as believers in his son, Jesus Christ? Who am I really that the maker of the universe would treat me the same way he treats his own beloved son, Jesus Christ? It's a worthy meditation to think that I am a child of God and that I am headed for such a glorious future. It ought to humble us all the time. The humility of that realization ought to be enough to cancel out any thought that we need or certainly deserve recognition or reward from anyone but God. I'm not saying that life is fair. Quite the opposite. Life is unfair. And, and, and there are going to be many times in your life when serving the Lord brings no earthly reward. Or worse, it, it puts you in the doghouse. And then we need to step back and say, wow, I'm adopted into the family of God. Who am I from my humble nature as a sinner, as a rejecter of Christ, that I would be saved and now put into that family? That's reward enough. And as we'll see here, David's reward was not just withheld. It was given to someone else. Verse 19. But it happened at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. It appears from the wording that definite plans had been made to give Mirab to David for his wife. Instead, she was given to Adriel. Where did that guy come from? We don't know anything about him. All of a sudden, the king's daughter is marrying Adriel. Just when you think you're okay with not receiving recognition or reward, you're doing okay. Then it's given to someone else. Somebody else pops up, and whether it's your reward or whether they're just being treated in a way that that's getting more recognition uh, or whatever, it's troublesome. Where do those people come from? What am I going to do about it? Well, the answer is nothing. If you're serving the Lord for the joy of it and have no expectation other than that, in the world you're climbing the ladder. There are plateaus to reach, there are peaks to conquer, there are plaques to accumulate for your wall. In the Lord, you're always stooping lower and lower, humbling yourself and trusting that Jesus will in due time exalt you. Now what's interesting about our text is that there's no suggested method or program in this account to show you how to achieve this freedom to maintain joy serving the Lord. It's a byproduct of walking in the spirit. You are enabled to do it. You're empowered to do it when you yield to the Holy Spirit. Here's another way of putting that. You're not told how David accomplished this, but why he did. He did it because he was a spirit filled man. And that's just how the spirit rolls, as we would say. It was natural for him. He was he wasn't looking for any reward when he went out against Goliath and he wasn't looking for any reward in the aftermath. Serving the Lord was its own reward, reward. And in the remaining verses, David does become the king's son in law. And it tells us that it may be that you will receive recognition and reward in this life. How should you respond when you do? Because that is also a trial. And there we'll see in verses 20 through 30, you maintain your joy in serving the Lord by having appreciation for temporal recognition and reward. David is going to be offered a different daughter to wed. Would you trust Saul after what just happened? But instead of getting all worked up about it, instead of seeking counsel about it, uh, instead of starting his own army somewhere, he would express a sense of appreciation for the gesture It would inspire him to serve with an even greater zeal. It's a really remarkable illustration of joy serving the Lord. And so verse 20, now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul and the thing pleased him. Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. There's a whole other study here that you could call, thanks a lot, Dad. Saul looks at his daughter, Michael, and says, I know, I'll let you be a stumbling block and a snare to David. I'm trying to kill David and I will use you that way. That's great, Dad. That's the end of the father-daughter picnics that they had been going on, I guess. Now, this is more of the same from Saul, but with a few additional twists. For one thing, Saul enlisted the aid of other servants in order to uh, trip David up. Verse 22, and Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king is delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. I want to assume that these servants were sincere and not in cahoots with Saul. Still, they were exerting a subtle pressure on David to accept recognition and reward as if he had earned it or deserved it. In other words, David had said, hey, I, I'm not expecting anything. And Saul says, hey, go tell him, you know, you know he's earned it. He deserves this. He, he, sh- he should be excited about this. Well-meaning fellow servants don't always give you the best spiritual advice. They may encourage an easier path because they don't want to see you struggle or suffer. Instead of being well-meaning, be word-meaning. And let the Lord use you to give the kind of advice and counsel that is consistent with a life of discipleship, a life in which you take up your cross daily. This doesn't work for every bit of counsel, but one thing to think about when somebody gives you counsel, when somebody tells you something and, and, and kind of you know is trying to help you, Ask yourself now, is this the kind of advice that a disciple would get? Someone who is taking up their cross daily, someone who is losing their life in order to find their life. Is this the harder path of discipleship or is this the easier path? Oh, of course you should have the better job. Of course you should, you know, be, live in the better climate. Of course you should have the things that are better and bigger and greater and more wonderful. Because after all, you know, you deserve those things. David started from a position where I don't deserve anything and I'm a little bit suspicious about recognition and reward. I want to be hesitant. It doesn't mean I can't have something bigger or better or greater or more wonderful. It just means that if I'm giving counsel about it, I want to give the kind of counsel that causes discipleship to happen. And it may be a path that has more resistance. It may be a path that creates a struggle but it will be the spiritual path that the Lord wants you to walk on. And so verse 23, so Saul's servant spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I'm a poor and lightly esteemed man? Way to go, David. He held fast to his no expectations policy. Verse 24, and the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke, then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Dowry? Whoever said anything about kill Goliath and come up with a dowry and I'll give you my daughter. A king's daughter had been promised. Then a new condition had been added that he fight the Lord's battles Then the king had reneged. Now there was another daughter, but with yet another condition added. All the while, David continued to go out and fight against the Philistines. Not for Saul, not for Israel, not for himself. He did it for the Lord. He is an amazing example of looking past people and to the Lord. If you think you're fighting the Philistines for Saul... You're, you're going to have a breaking point. Saul is going to do something to you, say something about you, to where you say, hey, that's, that's it. I don't need this. I, I, I have better things to do. David had no thought that he was fighting for Saul. Saul happened to be the king. Being a king was a big deal, and so David respected the office, but he was fighting for the Lord. He went out against Philistines and killed them because they were the enemies of Israel. They were the Lord's enemies. And so he never had that kind of a a problem, really, where, where, you know, uh, at this point in his ministry, where Saul affected him. Now, instead of the usual dowry, Saul would accept a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now, this appealed to David, or he thought it would appeal to David, and it did, because David loved killing Philistines. He loved killing the enemies of Israel. A hundred foreskins of the Philistines. These were not readily available at the foreskin store. The Philistines weren't going to donate them. Uh, You know, get all my Philistine friends on Facebook to donate foreskins for the cause. They would need to be acquired the old-fashioned way by first killing them. Verse 26. So when his servants told David these words... It pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him Michael and his daughter as a wife. I don't know about you, but I think after 10 or 12, I would have said, Okay, I believe you. Let's, you know... Now, if I had been, David, treated like this, I'd have quit or I have been looking for a transfer. If I couldn't make a move, I'd be doing the bare minimum. And I'd be grumbling and complaining to anyone and to everyone. I mean, I would come out of that meeting where all of a sudden I need to go out and kill a hundred Philistines and bring their foreskins back. That would, that would just, I would just be livid. Who does Saul think he is? And I'd find as many friends and sympathizers as I could, and I would start an anti-Saul campaign. And whatever I was assigned to do, I, I would do it half-heartedly. If at all, I'd show up late, I'd leave early and take a six-hour lunch. I mean, that, I mean you, you know, how much can you take humanly? I mean, this is, this is unfair, unfair labor practices. This is terrible. I mean, what would, and then if I was on the, listening to this, if my friend was telling me this, I'd say, yeah, that's right. You don't deserve to be treated. Who's Saul anyway? Come on. Let's see how many other people. When we get enough people together, we'll form our own nation. We'll meet down the block. The second Israel. How did you guys get started? We're a split from Israel. And, and, and that's how. That's what happens. In, in the Christian realm, we come out of meetings or we look at something and say, that's just unfair. I'm not getting the recognition that I deserve. In fact, my recognition's going to someone else. The conditions keep getting changed. Why am I serving here? David got all excited. said, man, I'm going to go kill 200 guys. David seemed instead to be genuinely appreciative of the opportunity to become a king's son-in-law. Again, who was Saul? He was the king. God's anointed king. Notwithstanding, he was on the downhill slide that he was mentally off, that he had a demon troubling him, that he was trying to kill David. David somehow could put all of that in perspective and say, yeah, but he's the king. And and to be the son-in-law to the king of Israel is an amazing ministry. It's an amazing opportunity for a a little shepherd boy like me. And so if you ask me how much I appreciate this and you tell me you need 100 foreskins, I'm going to double that. I'm going to give you 200 he did twice as much as he had been asked to do. The scenario I described from my life, grumble, complain, do less. And then there's David, the spirit-filled man who said, I'll do twice as much. You want to treat me this way? Watch what the Lord can do. You want a hundred foreskins when you never asked for any, when you previously changed the conditions? How about I do more than you've asked? And, and, because why? I do it as unto the Lord. When you feel overlooked or slighted, you should respond by serving twice as much, by working twice as hard. How is this attitude even possible? It's made not only possible, but normal by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. This is the normal Christian life. This is what Christians do when they're treated this way. They work harder and stronger and longer because they do it for the Lord. Verse 28, thus Saul saw and he knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. The result of receiving recognition and reward were that Saul was even more against him. Just as a footnote, don't be too excited to receive recognition and reward. It uh, sometimes has its own consequences. And so verse 30 Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. The wording makes it clear David went out against these marauding bands of Philistines. The law of Moses said that a newly married man should not go to war in his first year of marriage. Deuteronomy 24 verse 5. Perhaps knowing this. The Philistines went out against the Israelites, thinking their champion David would be prohibited from fighting them by the law that he lived under. But here we see that David went out. Was he therefore a lawbreaker? Well, no, he wasn't, because he's described as behaving more wisely than all the other servants of Saul. So what's going on? Or remember that David had been anointed and that the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And always remember in Scripture when there seems to be a dilemma that the Lord is using things to teach us New Testament principles. That These are written for our example that we would learn something. And here's what I think we're learning. The Holy Spirit led David not to set aside God's law, but to supersede it with what was more righteous at the time. David had a keen understanding of the true, what we would call, spirit of the law and not just the letter of the law. In this case, though I can't fully explain it, the letter of the law said, David, we're sorry you can't go fight any Philistines for a year. But David understood the spirit of the law and he knew that it would honor the Lord, that the Lord was using him in a remarkable way, that the Philistines were trying to use the law against Israel And David felt a release from the Holy Spirit. And he went out against the Philistines. And and he's described by the Holy Spirit, who's writing the scripture, anointing these men to write it, inspiring them as behaving wisely. Jesus was confronted with many letter of the law dilemmas. The one I think was the most prime example is the woman caught in adultery in the Gospel of John. She ought to have been stoned to death. She was caught in the very act of adultery. The law was clear. Jesus agreed. But he also pointed out that there was none in the crowd of accusers worthy to cast the first stone. Jesus applied the spirit of the law without breaking the letter of the law, bringing conviction to the accusers and forgiveness to the accused. Jesus had a remarkable way, led by the spirit, Of always applying the spirit of the law. Without violating the letter of the law. Without violating God's precepts or His commands. We want to be spirit of the law people. It isn't a license to sin. But rather to be gracious. Who is it we serve? We serve the living God. The risen Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes our service. Even its motive. He will reward us when we stand before him in that glorious day. Meantime, have no other expectation of recognition or reward from man. If you do receive either, be appreciative and double your serving to show that you believe it came directly from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you. Uh, We appreciate these episodes early in the life of David when he is beginning in the Spirit because they show us what is possible for each and every one of us as we, Lord, are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us. These lessons are hard in one sense, Lord, because they go against our natural bent. They go against the grain, we would say. I know my first inclination Lord when I'm being mistreated isn't to serve twice as hard it's to serve half as hard if I serve at all it's to quit and to do more than quit to grumble and complain and accuse and yet here David Lord I don't know that I can imagine a situation in which someone was treated worse than this who had just achieved one of the greatest victories in the history of the nation and one that goes on echoing through the centuries, Lord. David slaying Goliath and then to have his reward switched around several times to be treated this way, to, to be marked out for death, to have spears thrown at him, to be sent to the battle so that he'd be killed. And his response, Lord, is to humble himself and appreciate what you're doing in his life because he recognizes that it's you doing it. Oh, Lord, there's a big part of us that wants to be like that. But there's also a part of us that finds it difficult. The spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Maybe some of us are in that situation right now today, Lord. We've been grumbling and complaining about the way we're being treated, either by you or by a boss or somebody even here in the church. We think we deserve more than we've been given or granted. We're not getting reward or recognition. Or we are, and it's not what we thought it was. I pray that we would set all of that aside, Lord, and want to just uh, walk with you, look to you, look past the circumstances, look past the people, and know that we're serving you. And if we're not serving you, Lord the Holy Spirit would be asking us why what what is it that's holding us back how can we be children of God sons and daughters of the King and not be bowing down serving you not just with lip service Lord but in a real genuine way serving in the church serving outside the church using our gifts and talents and abilities to further the kingdom of God for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ And so minister to us, Lord, in these closing moments in a way that only you can by discerning between the soul and the spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together.